Good morning, Mount Pleasant. Good morning, everybody online. Good morning, everybody in Alma. We are thrilled to be together uh, this morning. Um, when my kids were tiny, really, really small, have you ever done this with kids where you're, you say to them, show me your muscles? Ever done that? And, and uh, I've got th three kids. This is years ago when they were smaller. And of course, you know, they, they tense their muscles. And when you go up, what you do is you go up to them and then you feel their muscles and you go, wow, you know, you are really strong. Look at these big muscles. And they just, they just beam. And then they're like, yeah, I want to see this side. You know, they're, they're showing you all. They're, they're flexing their muscles. And then one time I was doing it and my, uh, one of my boys said, uh, dad, why don't you flex your muscles? And I said to him, well, son, you know, I really can't because sometimes when I flex my muscles, my shirt rips. <laughs> okay, it wasn't supposed to be that funny. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm not joking you, my son went into school and was telling all his friends like, yeah, my dad just can't flex because basically he'd, he'd be out of a wardrobe. He'd have, he'd have nothing to wear at all. I say that story for a reason, because I'm not joking you, it brings us into Exodus chapter 5, and you're going to see why in just a moment. Uh, we've had, I think this is week number four, of moving into this life of Moses, and we've kind of stepped through some huge parts of his life. So just by way of recap, like right now, Moses is no longer a baby in a basket. That's kind of where we started. Um, he is no longer the prince of Egypt, a little bit of an older man. He's no longer a man on the run uh, and living in a desert because he murdered somebody and, and then sort of escaped and went into hiding. He's passed all of these things right now. And now what happens is God has spoken to Moses and he's telling him to go back to his place of birth. He says, I want you to go back to Egypt. And he is now at the spry age of 80. So I don't know where you fall in that category but what I would say is, if you're not dead, you're not done. <laughs> Every one of us, today is the day that we're going to serve God. Doesn't really matter our age at all. He's 80 years of age. And what is ahead of him, what is yet to come, is probably the most important thing in this man's life in terms of the significant way in which he's going to serve God and make a massive, massive difference. So right now, we're about to move into this place where God is going to call Moses to a very, very specific uh, mission. So no joke, we're in Exodus chapter 5 right now. And really, for the next five, six, seven chapters, what you're going to see is God flexing his muscles. And, and you're going to go, wow, look at the power and the strength of God over the course of these next few chapters. And we're going to look at all of them this morning. He is about to put on display for everybody an outright demonstration of his power. Uh, and pardon me, Irishman doing an American analogy here, was a Babe Ruth who got his uh, um, baseball bat, I nearly called it a stick, uh, his, his baseball bat, and just pointed to the stands. Was it was a Babe Ruth? And, and what he was saying was this, I don't care what you throw at me, I'm sending this ball out into the stands. Fastball, curveball, it doesn't matter. This is where the ball is going, even before you send me this, this pitch. I mean, that's what's going to happen in these scriptures. Have you ever heard the phrase, I could take you with one hand tied behind my? Right, that's a, right, you know that phrase? In other words, you ain't nothing and I got you. And then it goes even further, I could take you blindfolded with two hands tied behind my back. I mean, that's 
this kind of bravado that you'll often hear people say. In other words, I got this. I've got, I've got muscle. I can flex on whatever is about to come, and I got this thing covered. And that's what's going to happen in these next few uh, chapters right here. God, in his wisdom, is about to set up a scenario, and it's unbelievable what God does. He deliberately adds difficulty and complexity to it so that he's going to have to flex even more. He's actually going to make it harder. He's going to set up this contentious battle between two men that is going to be like the battle of titans. And God is in the middle of this. It is extremely dramatic. It is very sensational on a national sort of global scale. It involves the fate of millions of people. And that's where God steps up and he says, watch me flex. I'm going to show you my strength. It's really incredible pastor scripture. Week number one, I mentioned um, this idea of God's plan hinging on a baby floating down a river in a basket. And my, my honest reaction to that was like, God, what are you doing? That seems crazy to me. That really the redemption of mankind has come to this moment and you're orchestrating it and it's a baby floating down a river in a basket. God, I wouldn't do that. Those are, those are not the kind of plans. And I, w- I want to actually revisit that today. In fact, I'm going to double down on this idea of, God, why are you doing and orchestrating things the way that you are? Because I wouldn't do it like that. And I think you're making it harder on yourself. And you're going to see that that is exactly what takes place once again in this, in this story and in these chapters. How often have you said this to God? God, I think I know better than you. God, I think my plan, my prayer, what I'm asking you to do is far better than anything that you could possibly do. And for me, to be totally honest, what happens to me most often is I feel like my timeline on God's plans and what they ought to be is really different to God's timeline. Because my timeline is way faster than God's. And to me, it makes so much sense. God, if you could just do this now, yesterday... Have you ever prayed that? Like, God, I need, you to, I need you to show up. And so often it just seems like, God, you're not in much of a hurry here, are you? God, I, I really struggle with that. Why wouldn't you just, you know, push things along here? And, and you're going to see some more of that as well. Incredibly challenging circumstances. And it seems as though God picks these exact scenarios. Why? Why do you do that, God? It's almost as if you're manufacturing people and situations and circumstances and to, to make it more messy and more difficult and more challenging. And all I can say to you is, as we dive into the scripture, he's just going to do that again in Exodus chapter 5. But why would you do that, God? And I'll tell you why. Because God is about to put on display his awesome power and strength. He has chosen this moment in history to reveal to the world his incredible faithfulness, his unmatched dynamic power. He is actually going to move the pieces on the chessboard in a way that any other way I think would be a lesser revelation of his glory and power and strength. And it will simply reveal that he's God. And in the light of that, I find myself going, and I'm not. He's God. He's sovereign. He can do what he likes, when he likes, to whom he likes. And he can do it with incredible gusto and power. It is way above my pay grade. 
And my preferences, and my timeline, and my better plans, and my, God, why don't you listen to me? Or why haven't you done that yet, God? I don't think they even register because my thoughts are too small, too finite, too petty to even grasp what God is actually accomplishing and doing. He's God. You're not. Sometimes we think we are. In fact, in this scripture day, you're going to bump into a man who thinks he's God. Literally thinks he's God. What happens in Exodus chapter 5, we're going to go probably through till close on 10, 11, is the stuff of legend. In fact, Israel will never, ever, ever forget what God is about to do. They will recite it, learn it. They will teach it to their children. They will, they will turn it into songs. Once again, God is creating impossible circumstances in which to showcase His glory and His power and His majesty. Watch out. God's about to flex. So here's a showdown. It is between a very, very nervous Moses and a very, very powerful and stubborn Pharaoh. What is the motive in all of this? And this is actually important for us to catch. The motive is love and concern and rescue. So all this talk, even that I've talked about it, like God flexing in His power, I want you to know the motive behind this is actually love. God is not being cavalier. He's not being flippant. He's not being cocky or arrogant. Not at all. It's love and it's concern and it's rescue. That's why He's going to flex and show His strength. Things are so bad in this scripture that God is about to step into a situation and in doing so, you will look at it and you will say, there's no other explanation as to the outcome of this, except that it was God. It was His intervention. And it will display to you His character of love and concern and rescue. It will put on display His motive behind it all. In chapter 3, we discovered that God heard and saw the misery of His people who were in slavery. He heard their cry. He was concerned about them. They're enslaved. He's going to rescue them. He promised that he would bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. In chapter 4, we see Moses and Aaron come to the elders, and he tells them that God sees their misery and that God is going to act. And look at their response. This is chapter 4, verse 31. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. This immense gratitude. God sees us. God knows us. God understands what we're going through. God said he's going to step into this, and they just worship God. And I would say to you that within that verse right there is a mini depiction of God's heart and his motive for you today. He is, in your life right now, enacting a plan to take you out of misery. And sometimes we experience misery, don't we? Pandemic. Ill health. Sometimes it's just our own Stupid. We just do stupid sometimes. Like I've gotten myself into a mess. And God says, I see that misery. I want you to know I'm moving towards you. Death, addiction, pain, conflict, a lack, a deficit. All of these things, God says, I see them. And God says, in my timing and in my wisdom, I will come into your life and I will make all things new. There will be actually a day in your life where those things that are so familiar to you right now seem like a distant memory. And that's where I go, oh, hurry up, Lord. And God says, I know what I'm doing. 
What is the message? And you're going to see it throughout the scripture again and again. Let my people go. It's time. Let my people go. So God's going to take a stuttering man, stripped of his title and position, living the life of a nomad amongst animals in a desert. He's going to place that man in front of the most powerful man on the planet. He's going to give him a message that guarantees sort of to this powerful man a sense of belittling and humiliation and challenge. That's what he's going to bring to that man. And not only that, but somehow supernaturally, God is going to create a stubborn unwillingness in that great sort of powerful man, Pharaoh. That's the crazy scene. Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And secretly, without telling Moses, do you know what God does? The phrase is this, he hardens Pharaoh's heart. (laughs) Why would you do that, God? Wait a second. I thought you were concerned about these people. You're going to bring them out of misery. So you're going to take this stuttering man who doesn't want to do it, bring him before this powerful man, and tell him to let them go. And at the same time, you're going to take this powerful man and cause his heart to say, no, I'll never do it. Why would you do that, God? Why are you orchestrating circumstances again to make them more messy and more difficult? I'm going to flex. I'm going to show you an impossible scenario with no other explanation except that I'm God. (laughs) I would never do that. God, is there not a better way? Is there not another plan that we could figure out together? Doesn't it seem counterproductive? It really seems counterproductive to me. So, here's the conversation, and here's where it begins in chapter 5. And please understand that as Moses speaks to Pharaoh, this is nothing more than a slap in the face. That's how it's going to start. Verse 1 says this, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. This is the big moment. And they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. (laughs) These are heavyweight words. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I'm his spokesperson. I'm going to speak God's voice to you right now. Pharaoh, listen. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Moses didn't want to be here. Do you remember this last week? full of excuses, reasons why he shouldn't and couldn't and would not do what God called him to do. Finally, he comes to this moment. Moses steps in there. doesn't really want to be there, but I'm going to be obedient. And he steps up. And oh, doesn't he sound so confident? Thus saith the Lord. That's a heavyweight statement. Thus saith the Lord. The only better way to say that would be if it was Charlton Heston himself saying the words. And if we said it in King James, and if you don't know who Charlton Heston is, you're younger, you're younger than Wally Hostetter. <laughs> and this is, this is the confidence, like, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt let the people let go with. I mean, it's like King James, you're going to do it, and I'm giving you a command. God told me to tell you, you're done, let them go. Does Pharaoh play ball? Verse 2, Pharaoh said, well, who's the Lord? That I should obey him and let Israel go. This is you and what army? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh basically says, I don't really care what you're talking about or who you're talking about. Pharaoh digs his heels in immediately and says, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm greater, my power is unmatched, and nobody tells me what to do. You cannot have my free labor force. No way. 
Watch Moses' confidence immediately shrink. He literally says, he's going to say right now, would you let us take a three-day journey to the wilderness? And the phrase goes from commanding to, would you please let us? This is the equivalent of pretty, pretty please. That's what immediately comes afterwards. Every great story builds to these moments of intense conflict and tension. And that is what God is actually creating. Watch this. Pharaoh gets so indignant at this command and then this follow-up pretty please. This is his response. In verse 4, he says, get back to work. Verse 7 and verse 8, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go so they can gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. He's actually making them more miserable. Verse 9, make them work harder for the men so that they keep working. You can tell me what to do. I'm going to double down on misery. Now remember Moses, he didn't even want to be here. He didn't want to have anything to do with any of this. So Moses, how's this going for you right now? His tail is between his legs. Look at the reaction of the nation of Israel, these slaves, when they realize that all of a sudden, for reasons that they probably don't quite understand, but Pharaoh is ticked off. Now they have to make the same number of bricks, but they don't have the resources and the straw to do that. They're actually waiting, the elders, they're waiting to catch Moses and Aaron. In other words, come here, come over here. I got a word to say with you. Verse 20 and 21, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. This is not a friendly greeting. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Look what you've done. This is a mess. Moses in this moment, at the age of 80, is seriously rethinking his life. When's the last time anyone came up to you and said, you have made me to be a stench? (laughs) It's not a nice thing. It's a hot mess. And it's actually really serious. Because people's lives were in agony and misery. And now it's worse. Worse, hundreds of thousands of people. Moses' reaction. Maybe you've prayed this kind of prayer before. Verse 22. Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon these people? Is this why you sent me? You have not rescued your people at all. What are you doing? You said that you were going to. It's... It would be better off if I never showed up. It would be better off if I were still in the desert. Is this what you brought me here for? Because you're not rescuing anybody. This isn't working. They're more miserable. The elders are so livid with me. Pharaoh is ticked off. God, things are already miserable. And God, I think you've made it worse. What am I doing here? You're not doing what you said you would do. I'm questioning you. I'm questioning your character. Where's the love and concern and rescue? Because I don't see any of it. And now for the very first time, God speaks. Look at what he says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. 
God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard their groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, says the Israelites, Uh, Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves for them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Here comes his muscles. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will give you the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession I am the Lord. That's his answer. And what follows is arguably the most dramatic, sensational, monumental display of God's strength, perhaps since he spoke creation into into the world. What's about to take place here is enormous. God cannot be matched. Do you hear his words? He's pointing the bat, blindfolded with two arms behind my back. Who's going to take me? Who's going who's to be my rival? Who's going to be my equal? Who's going to oppose me? He wants Israel to see him keep his word. He is utterly faithful and trustworthy. And God demands that this will be spoken and revealed and seen in a manner that will be unmistakable. That there will be no other explanation for what is about to take place except that it was done by God's incredible outstretched hand and his indescribable, indescribable love. God is about to make a statement to the world. Watch me, he says. Watch what I'm about to do. God's providential hand crafts the best possible rivalry that could possibly be manufactured. He takes the most powerful, wealthy, influential man who has the world at his feet, he emboldens, he emboldens that man against God because Pharaoh believes in his heart of hearts. What does Pharaoh believe about himself? That he is God. He literally believes that. And so this will be the battle of titans. So God takes, this is God's sense of humor, the demoted prince of Egypt who has been humbled and shaped in a desert for 40 years. He is, Moses, in many ways, a fumbling, flawed, stuttering, speechless, powerless man. And he gives this speechless man a verbal message to speak to the most powerful man on the planet. But Moses' feeble faith is in a very strong God. And it's funny, do you know the way sometimes we think we know better than God? Okay, sometimes I think I know better than God. You know the way we think we know better than God sometimes? We think our plans are smarter, quicker, certainly quicker. God, do it sooner. What was Moses' solution? Look at Moses' plan, because I think it sums up our wisdom perfectly. Years ago, Moses saw the same problem. Years ago, Moses saw this misery. He saw this Egyptian man beating an Israeli man to a pulp. And what does he do? Sort of this flash, this heated moment, and he sort of jumps into the situation, and he just kills a man and buries him in the sand and runs off hiding for escapism. I would suggest to you today that that actually is a perfect summary of my wisdom and your wisdom. 
God's plans are far better than ours. So here we go. The stage is set. And I want you to hang with me here because what you're about to see take place is a battle just piece by piece, chapter by chapter. Here it starts. Moses comes in, day number one, and he says the words, let my people go. To which Pharaoh responds, no. Pharaoh demands a miracle. Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, he throws down his staff and it turns into a snake. And Pharaoh's like, that's not a big deal. He calls in his magicians and they throw down their staffs and they turn into snakes. This is day number one of this massive battle. And then Moses' staff, Aaron's staff, the snake, eats all of the other snakes. Moses doesn't know what to do with that. Pharaoh doesn't know what to do with that. The next scenario, let my people go. No. They're at the edge of the River Nile. God turns the entire River Nile into blood. Even if you had water in a bucket, in a jar, that turned into blood as well. Egypt is stinking. Every fish is dead. What happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would you do that? It's counterproductive. Let my people go. The next scenario. No. God sends a plague of millions of frogs. Eventually, the frogs die, and they are piled into these massive heaps. The land is reeking. What happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why are you doing that, God? The next scenario, let my people go. No. God sends in a plague of billions of flies. They fill everywhere in the land. They fill Pharaoh's palace. They destroy the land. What happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The next scenario, let my people go. No. God sends a plague to the livestock. Every animal, every dog, cat, donkey, camel, horse, belonging to Egypt exclusively dies. The animals that were under the care of the slaves did not die. What happens? God, Pharaoh, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The next scenario, let my people go. No. Moses takes this dust from the ground, he throws it up in the air, it goes all over Egypt, and it creates these agonizing boils over everybody's skin. They're in agony. What happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Let my people go. No. This is going on and on and on. God sends the most violent storm of hail and lightning that the country has ever experienced. That's what it says in the scriptures. Any person, any animal, that did not shelter, were killed and were devastated. The land was destroyed. At this point, Pharaoh is scared. The reason why he's scared is because he sees that every time Moses speaks, God does it. It says he's scared stiff. He knows it's going to come true. But what happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The next occasion, let my people go. No, God sends a plague of locusts. There are so many, it says that every inch of the ground was completely covered. What little was left by the hill is eaten up by the locusts. There is not a tree, not a leaf, not a plant, not a fruit, nothing left in the country. What happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Let my people go. No, unbelievable. God sends a plague of darkness for three days. It says it was darkness that could be felt. That's a direct quote from the scripture. Have you ever gone down into a cave? Ever taken a cave tour? 
You ever, you ever felt darkness? You put your hand in front of your face, you're like, oh my goodness, I can see nothing. This happened all over Egypt, except in the places where the slaves were. That's where there was light. Unbelievable. Nobody can move. Nobody can go anywhere. Nobody can see anything for three days. Incredibly, there's light where the, Egyptian, where the uh, Israeli slaves are. And what happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. There's one more final, last, most sensational plague, and it's so incredible, we're actually going to take the entire of next Sunday and talk about it. But what is happening in the Scripture? What is God actually saying to us? The Word of God for your life today actually has nothing to do with you. And what I mean by that is sometimes you'll hear a message that's like, oh, you know, do these things and this will go well for you. Or here's some tips for your finances. Or here's how to be a happy person. This has nothing to do with you. The Word of God is simply a direct revelation of His glory and His power. And you simply get to look at that and see it. I want you today to see the immensity of God. He is other. He is infinite. He is without parallel. He is without equal or rival. In His perfectness, His righteousness, in His justice... In his love and his mercy. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> his holiness is beyond all parameters and limits. No sooner do I start to think that I actually understand something about God, that he now instantly becomes bigger and greater and beyond and grander than anything I could have ever thought of. You are God alone. The angels in Isaiah chapter 6 are enraptured in ecstatic praise, uh, praise when they actually observe the glory of God. They are witnessing his infinite greatness and all they can say is holy, 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 all-powerful, all places, all wisdom, all knowledges. This angels, they're looking at us and they're witnessing firsthand as they look at each other and they just cry out, holy, holy, holy is our God, the Lord God Almighty. His glory, it fills the whole earth. I want you to capture a picture of that today. Pharaoh thinks he's God. Moses thinks he's incompetent and ineloquent. And so God speaks through a man who cannot speak to tell a man who thinks he's God that in fact there is nobody who compares to the king of kings. Only God can do that. God is flexing. He is the God of Egypt. He is the God of Israel. He is the God of America. He is the God of Ireland. He is the God of nations. He is the God of this universe. He is the God of the world. He is the God who commands locusts to cover the earth. He is the God who in the past said, let there be light, and now says, let there be darkness. He is the God who turns water to blood and dust to boils. His authority knows no bounds. Frogs and flies and livestock. He says, I command the weather. I look at a wave and I say, you can go this far and no further. I talk to lightning and I tell it what to do. This is my power. I tell hail where to fall. God has intentionally inserted himself into a situation and he is bringing it to an 
ultimate difficult climax. It is a deadlock. It is an impasse between these two men, between these two nations. It is an international dead end beyond human capacity to resolve. And don't think for a second, please, that God has been flippant or cocky or arrogant or cavalier. God is simply revealing who he is. This is my character and this is my power. This is me. I am the creator of everything. And when God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you, you need to know he's just going to come and he's just going to rescue you. And there's nothing and no one that's ever going to get in the way of that or stop it or prevent it at all. And he says, I hear your cries and I see your misery. And I remember my covenant with Abraham. And in my sovereign wisdom, I'm choosing this moment to show the world, even through this little mini God who thinks he's got power and clout and influence and money and wealth, who thinks himself to be stubborn, who's digging his heels in, that in my sovereign wisdom, I will call this moment to be what it will be. And God says to you today, that God, I'm also your father. I hope today you feel small. In the light of the scripture, I hope you feel small. I hope you see God, and I hope you just think, he's just enormous. He's just so huge. He's massive. He's gigantic. When he says he's going to do something, well, you can just trust that he's going to do that. I don't want you to miss this. Please don't overlook this one incredible, undeniable, indisputable, incorrectable fact that you today are loved by this big, massive God. This strong Father with broad shoulders. He's flexing. My daddy is bigger than yours. And that you are loved beyond all measure. Church, I want to ask us to stand now. And let's worship this mighty king.